Please open up your copies of God's Word to Romans chapter 10. We're continuing on in Romans chapter 10. Today we're going to look at verses 5 through 21, and that'll take us from verse 5 to the end of the chapter, just to kind of orient you on uh, where we are as far as uh, Paul's message to the church and where we're going to find ourselves today. You might remember that at the beginning of chapter 9, he's, he, that is Paul, is dealing with the question is, has God's word failed? Um, because it seems like we are going out and preaching the word, but uh, the churches, a lot of these churches are largely filled with non-Jews. Uh, why aren't um, the Jews being uh, converted in masses? Certainly there are some, but um, why isn't it greater? Has God's word failed? And you remember Paul takes us behind the curtain and he tells us about God's election and he, he assures us, listen, everything is going according to God's plan. And then he starts to look at the end of chapter nine, even into the beginning of 10 at kind of that earthly reason. And he says, well, it's because they've sought and they believe in their heart that their right standing um, before God is not only from his grace and his forgiveness, but it also has to do with how well they're performing um, all the sacrifices and keeping the law and all these things. They think their right standing is a mixture of God's grace and how well they do. Paul says, no, no, no. It's the reason Christ came to die. He is that final sacrifice and salvation is through faith alone. And he is now moving on um, in chapter 10 to tell us about the word, this message of the gospel, and its need to go forward. With that introduction, we'll read Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse five. This is God's holy word. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And here ends the reading of the word of God. Let's pray and ask him for his help. Lord, we would come before you humbly. We would ask, Lord, that you would forgive us And we thank you that you have given us an opportunity to gather. Not only that, you've commanded us to gather and that your word should be preached and that we should hear and that as your people we should apply. Oh Lord, we have come though to hear from you. We do pray that you would do that special work, that supernatural work. Lord, that we would know that you are present Uh, that you are listening and that you are involved in our lives. Lord, we'd ask that you would take this, your word, that you would tap us on the shoulder, that you would help us to know what we are to do. Um, How should we follow you, Lord? And we'd ask that you'd be doing a work in our heart, uh, that we would love you more, uh, that we would want to follow you, that we'd want to sit at your feet and pray. We'd ask, O Lord, for your grace to be poured out upon us. We'd ask you to hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to start off with um, some basics for you. Take you back uh, to school. Uh, When you're in school, you learn, of course, of American history. And one of the stories that you learn is about Paul Revere's famous midnight ride. Uh, And that's a significant event in human history. And it took place on April 18th, 1775. Do you remember the story? The tensions, right? The tensions were um, raising between the American colonies and uh, the British government, and it was escalating. Things were starting to get to a boiling point, to a breaking point, and uh, the British were starting to attempt to disarm the, uh, the colonial militias, and they were starting to arrest the American leaders, And Paul Revere was part of a network of writers established by the American colonial leaders to warn of British troop movements. And on the evening of April 18th, Revere was instructed to ride to Lexington and to Concord and to warn local militias that the British military was on an impending march. They were coming. And so Revere took off. He took off on horseback and he traveled from Boston and into the surrounding countryside warning uh, the patriots and the colonial leaders. And he often shouted, the British are coming, right? That's the famous line. He shouted, the British are coming to alert the people in his path. Paul Revere played a crucial role in spreading the message. And in our text, we learn that people, that God's people, play a crucial role in spreading the message of the gospel, right? It's as if they're shouting, Jesus is coming. Jesus 
is coming. The message of Romans 10, 5 through 21 is that salvation comes through faith in Christ and it's available to all who believe. Look at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Paul begins emphasizing the essential element of salvation, which is faith. That's our first heading, the requirement of faith. The requirement of faith. Well, I've talked about Paul Revere. He wrote and he told the people that the British army was coming. That's the message that he carried. And I've said that in our passage, a message is being carried as well. It's a message that contains both a warning and good news. It's a message that contains a problem and it contains a solution. Verse 13 talks about being saved, doesn't it? Being saved. Saved from what? Saved from what? The problem that humanity faces is the holiness and justice of God. God's nature is characterized by perfect holiness and moral purity. As a result, he expects those who come into his presence to mirror his righteousness. The dilemma lies in the fact that God in his holiness cannot commune with sin. It can't be in his presence. Sin can't be in his presence. You see, being a good person isn't enough. Comparing ourselves with one another and generally being a good person, it isn't enough. God requires moral perfection. And that's the problem we face as sinners. Every one of us, every one of us has violated God's law. We need help. We need forgiveness. We need righteousness because without a doubt, the day is coming when we will all stand before God. How can we attain righteousness? In verse five, Paul says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Paul wants you to understand that your right standing before God can't be achieved through law keeping. Under the law, righteousness is achieved by keeping the commandments perfectly. But no one, no one can do that without error. And that should be obvious to you. The law doesn't save us by helping us to fulfill it. No, it points us to the law fulfiller, the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can obtain righteousness through faith in him. We can't attain salvation by the law. And the good news is that we don't have to. 
In verse six, Paul writes, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Paul is drawing on the book of Deuteronomy to argue that righteousness by faith doesn't require extraordinary human efforts like ascending to heaven or descending into the abyss. Instead, it's readily available through simple trust in Christ's work. Righteousness is received through faith. It doesn't stem from human achievements or superhuman deeds. And in verse eight, Paul quotes Deuteronomy again. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Paul uses this quote to emphasize that the message of faith isn't distant or hard to attain. It's readily accessible. In Deuteronomy, the context is about God's commandments, but Paul adapts it to convey the accessibility of faith in Christ. Verse nine continues the thought by explaining how this accessibility works. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how it works. This is the central message of salvation through faith in Jesus. This text explains how you can obtain salvation, how you can obtain righteousness. It's the solution text says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. This means openly acknowledging and declaring that Jesus is not just a person, but that he is the Lord and that he is your Lord. He's the divine savior and the ruler of your life. This is a public proclamation of faith. Verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, this is describing a deep, genuine, and personal belief that Jesus was crucified, dead, and was buried, and was raised from the dead by God, signifying his victory over sin and death. It involves faith in the redemptive work of Christ. You see, salvation isn't achieved through works or adhering to the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice. In verse 10, Paul says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Righteousness is found in the person and work of Jesus. Our justification, the act of being declared righteous by God is a result of genuine faith from the heart. And when you are declared righteous, when you receive the righteousness of Christ, you can enter into the presence of God because through Christ, you obtain moral perfection. You obtain God's favor, his smile. You obtain his righteousness. 
It's the beginning of living in an active relationship with God. The central message of the gospel is the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus. This message lies at the heart of the Christian faith and as our text unfolds, it becomes evident that the offer of salvation is open to anyone who believes. We see the inclusivity of salvation. That's our second heading, the inclusivity of salvation. Sometimes we make bad decisions, don't we? All it takes is one look at our old yearbooks and we can see some of the bad decisions uh, we've made when we look at some of those photos. But sometimes we make serious mistakes, don't we? Have you ever made a mistake that you're ashamed of? Something that you would rather that nobody knows about? It's embarrassing. You don't want anything or anyone to find out about this thing. Uh, We feel ashamed about bad decisions we've made in life because we recognize our mistakes. And we often fear judgment or criticism from others as well as the consequences of those decisions. Well, notice, notice what Paul says about people who decide to put their trust in Jesus. Consider verse 11. For the scripture says... Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul's emphasizing the reliability of faith in Jesus for salvation. He quotes from Isaiah 28, 16, which says, whoever believes will not act hastily or will not be put to shame. He's not as one who's acted hastily, who's made a shameful decision. His point is that anyone who places their trust in Jesus, believing in him as their Lord and Savior, will not be disappointed or ashamed of their faith. He reassures you that you won't be disappointed for having trusted in Christ. This is a crucial reassurance, especially for early Christians who were facing persecution and doubts from others about their faith in Christ. And it's crucial in our day too, isn't it? We need reassurance. Paul's conveying that faith in Christ is secure and trustworthy. Christ is not going to fail you. His promises to you are true and he will deliver. People who believe in him will find that their trust is well-placed and will ultimately lead to salvation and eternal life. This is an assurance of the reliability of the gospel message. But who is the gospel for? Are Are there any restrictions? Are there any limitations? For instance, in America, the right to vote used to be restricted. Initially, the U.S. Constitution limited voting rights to white property owners. But through 
a series of amendments and legislation, the right to vote began to be extended to various groups. The 15th Amendment granted the right to vote regardless of race. And the 19th Amendment extended the right to vote to women. And the 26th Amendment lowered the voting age to 18. But there are still restrictions regarding voting. Some are welcome to vote and others are not. Some are barred or disqualified or kept away. And there's some wisdom in that. But the gospel has no such restrictions. It's wide open. It invites people from all backgrounds, people of every nation. It's open to men and women and to little boys and little girls, people of all ages. All are welcome. Paul's already mentioned the universal offer of the gospel in verse 11, but now he underlines it again. Look at verses 12 and 13. He states that the offer of salvation is by faith in Christ and it's available to every person. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, Paul is emphasizing the inclusivity of salvation through faith in Christ. His point is that there is no distinction or difference in the offer of salvation between Jews and Greeks or any other ethnic or cultural groups. The same Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of all and offers salvation to all who believe in him, regardless of their background. Salvation is available to everyone who places their faith in Jesus. As Christians, we need to learn from this. The gospel is for everyone. We're often I think, tempted to limit who we pray for or who we consider sharing our faith with. Maybe it's something we do unconsciously without thinking about it. But as you come in contact with unbelievers, don't give up on them. Don't close the door on them because of their age or because of their ideology Don't rule people out because they're too rich to care about Christ or maybe they're too poor or they're homeless. Don't disqualify people because they're angry with God or have a chip on their shoulder. They're so hard-hearted you think, what's the point? They're never gonna believe anyway. God is in the miracle business He is in the miracle business and the gospel is for everyone. So we should pray, share our faith and encourage unbelievers to call on the Lord. 
Verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To call on the Lord involves a heartfelt and intentional act of seeking and depending on Jesus. It means having a genuine faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and a deep conviction that he is the means of salvation. And calling on him includes repentance, which means turning away from a life of sin and actively seeking to follow Christ in obedience. Calling on him signifies a lifelong commitment marked by faith in Christ and an ongoing reliance on him for guidance and strength and salvation. Salvation is available to anyone who places their faith in Jesus and calls upon him. This is the message that must be widely proclaimed. And Paul emphasizes the urgency of spreading the gospel message, underscoring the pivotal role of proclaimers. That's our third heading, the role of proclaimers. The role of proclaimers. I used to live in a house that was on the top of of a hill. And a large portion of the hill was just trees and, and uh, grass and so forth. And uh, one year, a brush fire started at the bottom of the hill. And the police came and they blocked off all of uh, the streets so people wouldn't continue driving up the hill. And the fire department was busy trying to uh, frantically put out this uh, brush fire. And uh, so as they were working on doing that, they uh, dispatched emergency crews uh, to go up the hill and start uh, knocking on doors to notify people that the hill was on fire and that you needed uh, to get out of your house. And my house was uh, one of those houses. And you cannot forget the sound of this urgent knock. I mean, by the sound of this knock, you know someone means business and this is urgent. And the fire was eventually put out just feet, just yards from where uh, my fence was in my backyard. Well, Paul uses a series of rhetorical questions as a way of emphasizing the urgent need of Christians to spread the good news of the gospel, to come knocking like that. What's some urgency? Draw your attention to verse 14. He asks, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? Well, what's, what's Paul saying? People cannot call upon or believe in Jesus if they haven't heard about him. Paul's got some more questions for us. He asks, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul says that the act of preaching or proclaiming the gospel is the way others come to hear about Christ. And we see that people are sent or they're commissioned to carry the message to new places and new people groups. He's highlighting the pivotal role of preachers who are sent to share the message 
His point is to stress that the spread of the gospel is essential for people to hear, believe, and ultimately call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. That makes sense, right? Let's make a helpful distinction here. We can speak of, of preaching with a capital P and preaching with a lowercase p to distinguish between those who are officially ordained to preach and the duty of all believers to carry the message of the gospel. Every Christian has a role in sharing the gospel. While some people may have specific roles as ordained preachers or ministers, it's essential to recognize that evangelism and sharing the gospel is the responsibility of the entire Christian community. Now what that looks like is different for each of us. The Lord has given us each a unique mission field, such as our friends, our children, all right, our families, our coworkers, our classmates. And he's given us all differing abilities. We're called to be faithful right where God's placed us. And we're called to do the best we can with the abilities that he's given us. Our task is to carry the message, to scatter gospel seed, and to trust that God will do the rest. Paul's encouraging believers to actively engage in evangelism and to support those who are sent to proclaim the gospel. He wants to ensure that more people have the opportunity to hear and believe in Jesus. You'll notice that he quotes Isaiah 52, verse 7, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He's drawing a direct connection between Old Testament prophecies and the gospel message which he and other believers are sharing. He wants to make that clear, right? He's uh, wanting the Jews to believe it. He's quoting the Old Testament like um, uh, several times, isn't he, throughout this entire passage, But often, people reject God's word. They reject the gospel. And we need to be ready for that. Paul continues in verse 16, again, quoting Isaiah. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Some people are going to reject the gospel. They did in Isaiah's time, they did in Paul's, and they're going to in ours. But we must keep proclaiming the gospel because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's what verse 17 says, isn't it? In his closing statements in this chapter, Paul quotes various Old Testament passages to demonstrate God's persistent outreach to humanity. Now grab this. Look at God's um, character here. And these very, you see these various Old Testament passages. Each of them highlights a separate thing. But all of them, you see God persistently, his heart is to reach out, to tell others about 
himself. He just quoted Isaiah, but they didn't hear from us. In verse 18, Paul quotes from the Psalms to show that the message of the gospel has been widely proclaimed and has reached far beyond Israel's border. God sent his word out far beyond Israel's border. He might think of Jonah. In verse 19, he quotes Deuteronomy to demonstrate Israel's failure to accept the gospel message is part of God's larger plan to save both Jews and Gentiles. It's strategy. God's gonna bring, he wants to bring in all of the peoples. And in verse 20, Paul quotes Isaiah again to emphasize God's willingness to be found by those who didn't seek him and to reveal himself to those who didn't ask to be found. Paul's point is crystal clear. God's outreach is persistent, proactive, and inclusive. He's consistently made his message known and extended his grace to people, even to people who haven't sought him. This highlights the universal and unending nature of God's love and his desire for all people to have the opportunity to know him and to respond to him. This text shows God's unwavering commitment to reveal himself to humanity even when they aren't seeking him. And God gives us the privilege to be a part of his outreach efforts. Looking back over these verses, it's important to see God's plan for the nation, the nations and the urgency of evangelism God will have a people for himself from every tribe and language and people and nation, and he's accomplishing this plan through gospel proclamation. The message of Romans 10, 5 through 21 is unmistakable. Salvation through faith in Christ is an offer extended to all, and its accessibility to anyone who believes is to be carried by preachers who, pray, who play a pivotal role in sharing the message to the world. We've explored three key points. The requirement of faith, emphasizing that righteousness and salvation come through faith in Christ, not the law. The inclusivity of salvation, showing that the gospel is for everyone without distinction and the role of proclaimers underscoring the vital importance of sharing the gospel and the duty of all believers to participate in spreading the good news. Well, we talked about how Paul Revere played a pivotal role in spreading the warning of the British Army's arrival. And we too, must proclaim the urgent message of salvation. The gospel message is reliable and salvation is open to anyone who believes in Jesus and calls on his name. We must embrace our role as proclaimers, recognizing that the spread of the gospel is essential 
for people to hear, believe, and call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. As we heed the the call to share the gospel, we're reminded of Romans 10.13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Lord, we, we are grateful. We are grateful, Lord, that you sent people into each one of our lives who were faithful to be uncomfortable and faithful to tell us about you. Lord, we'd ask that you would help us to carry this message. Lord, you know that each of us are in different places with different abilities. We'd ask that you would strengthen us, Lord. We'd ask that you would give us greater boldness. Uh, We would ask that you would give us divine appointments. We'd ask that you would help us to be faithful. We'd ask that you'd help us to be honest. We'd ask that you'd help us to share our lives in truth with others. Lord, we simply ask that you would give us the opportunity to tell the truth. Lord, help us. Help us that we can spread the great news great news, Lord. We've never known joy until we met you. Not true joy and not true peace. We're so grateful, Lord. Help us to be faithful and to carry this message forward. We'd ask you to hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.